Welcome to the ED Gym. Look, hypertension is probably the most common medical problem uh, problem encountered in pregnancy. Um, it does complicate approximately 10 to 12 percent of pregnancies. Um, and then, you know, looking into Australian stats, probably one in 20 women are diagnosed with preeclampsia. And then you have one in 100 women um, that then experience complications such as HELP syndrome uh, or eclampsia. So I'll touch a bit on that um, further into talk. Um, it is a leading cause of maternal and perinatal morbidity and mortality in Australia and internationally. So I feel like it's probably not a conversation that's um, widely spoken about, but it, it's it's quite critical and important, and it's um, it's quite prominent. Hey Frothers, welcome back to another episode of the EDGM podcast. This week I'm chatting to Amanda. She is an absolute legend. She is a midwife, a clinical nurse consultant, and just a friendly face. Um, I've had the privilege of um, meeting her sort of out of the um, ED environment up on the maternity ward. Um, She is a great human, um, and we're going to hear about hypertensive disorders in pregnancy. Um, These things sort of sparked my attention um, because I did have a patient um, with this sort of stuff. Most episodes, um, I generally look after a patient with a condition and it sort of fires me up to find someone who knows more about it than I do. And that's not hard to find um, because I don't know that much, but I'll tell you what, Amanda knows heaps. Um, So we're going to crack in and listen to this. Um, I think you're going to love it. Um, And I want to say a shout out to all the midwives out there. You are amazing people. Um, You deal with some really, really, really highs and some really, 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 really deep lows. Um, So if you're a midwife out there, you are awesome. Let's get into it. So, um, you welcome to the podcast, um, and the EDGM podcast. Today, I'm chatting to Amanda, who's a midwife, and she's an absolute legend. Um, Amanda, welcome. Hi, Finn. Thanks for having me on. It's been a long time. Oh no, I swear, your and my schedule is impossible to link. Um, <laughs> yep, but we're here now. We managed Good. to do it, uh, and it's awesome. Um, and we're going to be chatting about um hypertensive disorders in pregnancy. Oh, it's exciting to be here. I think pregnancy is one thing um, and postpartum issues and topics that um, tend to be off the radar. So, um, I'm, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So we're probably seeing a bit more of it now and obviously increasing um, comorbidities uh, with women and um, and pregnancies as well. You, you will probably end up seeing a bit more of it um, in the next few years too. And um, hopefully there's incredible research that's being um, taken uh, that's um, happening at the moment has been for a very, very long time on um, hypertensive disorders and pregnancies. So we'll continue to see a lot of that mm. in the coming years. Mm. It's pretty multi. We'll get onto it a bit later. It's a pretty multifactorial um, sort of thing where there's a lot more happening than I thought. <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Touching on the classification. So with hypertension disorders, you have chronic hypertension, 
Um, And that's actually broken up into three subgroups. You have essential hypertension, secondary hypertension, and then white coat hypertension. And then the second part of the classification is gestational hypertension. So that's Mm -hmm. hypertension in pregnancy that's developed in pregnancy. And the third is preeclampsia. And then the fourth is preeclampsia, which then super, which has been superimposed on chronic hypertension itself. And obviously, you have a, um, you know, the complication of HELP syndrome, um, which when I say HELP, it's H-E-L-L-P, so yes. hemolysis, <laughs> elevated liver enzymes, and low platelet syndrome. So um, that's another um, complication that stems off uh, preeclampsia. I guess for chronic hypertension, you have when I said essential hypertension, so that's actually high blood pressure or hypertension diagnosed prior um, to conception or before 20 weeks gestation. So if you have a woman that's presented and she has had maybe underlying blood pressure prior to falling pregnant, um, that she hasn't been even treated prior um, before or she is medicated um, for as well. Um, and then you have secondary hypertension, um, which is high blood pressure, hypertension diagnosed prior to conception um, or before 20 weeks, but with a known cause as well. Mm. Those, those two parts of chronic hypertension. Um, with preeclampsia, so preeclampsia is new onset hypertension, um, mm. which arises after 20 weeks uh, usually, um, and that's with the addition of at least one system, so one um, system in the body that's being affected, both maternal um, and fetal as well. Um, and it usually preeclampsia resolves within three months postpartum as well. Okay. So that's why we'll touch on a bit on um, delivering or induction for women who have preeclampsia as well. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I like how you raised, um, you know, you, got, you don't also have like, you know, you can get hypertension in pregnancy, but you can have it before, you know, there'd be some, there'd be some people out there that, um, you know, before conception may have had hypertension and, and obviously... Um, you know, you've also got those people that obviously um, being pregnant brings it on. Um, but it's sort of good to know this. You know, I love the white coat one too. I was like, damn, that's a, I'm sure that's a lot of people as well. Yeah. Um, and like with the white coat, it's really important because um, that's something that we need to kind of look at for women who have come off with, you know, come in with a one-off um, high blood pressure, have never had it before, are pretty low risk and well. Um, it's usually white coat is diagnosed with 24-hour ambulatory and BP monitoring as well. Um, so then we can look at what's happening with these women when they're home, when they're not around, you know, um, healthcare providers are in a hospital. Um, yep. Yeah. Um, and it was good how you said one or more factors, which we'll touch on in a minute. Um, like one or more systems, because I like how you sort of yeah. say things, things like, you know, renal impairment or protein, u- urine, those sort of things, not just yeah. sort of one thing that hypertension can affect multi-systems, not just one part of the body. Yeah. Um, is there a blood pressure out there that sort of is, you know, I guess in any of those sort of terms, um, yeah. one that we look at or, or yes. in like diastolic? Yeah, absolutely. So when we look at hypertension in pregnancy, um, it's defined as a systolic that's greater than or equal to 140 um, and a diastolic of greater than or equal to 90. Um, And then you look at severe hypertension, which is diagnosed of a systolic of 100, uh, greater than or equal to 160 um, and or a diastolic greater than or equal to 110. Um, so that's really important. It's an and or, so you don't have to have just a systolic that's high with a diastolic that's high. It can be either or. Oh, okay. um, 
And it's probably also important to note that, um, you know, especially in pregnancy or pre-pregnancy, so a rise of a systolic of greater than or equal to 30 or, um, or and a diastolic greater than or equal to 15 from their pre-pregnancy or booking blood pressure. Mm. It's, not inclu- it's not included in the definition um, of hypertension, but it may be um, helpful for, for clinicians and then for midwives partic- um, to, you know, uh, particularly for the women who have proteinuria or elevated urate levels or um, abnormal liver function. So it is taken into consideration. So a woman might come in again with what we think is a normal intensive reading of blood pressure, but she has other risk factors um, and, you know, quite a significant elevation from her pre-pregnancy booking. Um, and also we were talking before off air about being caught out with um, the postpartum stuff as well, which I uh, yeah. caught out at triage once. Um, and I said this before about a patient who, um, you know, had had Bub in the car with dad and had come in for a headache and hadn't told me that she was, you know, postpartum two weeks um, and then, you know, had a blood pressure of over 145. Um, and, yeah, just, you know, once I sort of probed about why she was going back outside, she said she was going to check on a baby who was very young. So I think um, it's good to always ask those questions about. And I think it's in our screening at triage now about being pregnant. Um, or postpartum as well. And our maternal charts change um, on yeah. our operation chart, which is really awesome. I love that stuff. Yeah, that's definitely really, really important. Um, understanding that a woman can, de- can develop this for up to six weeks postpartum. Um, and we'll talk a bit more about the symptoms because you mentioned she came in with a headache. So um, just recognising those because, you know, for pregnant women or women who um, just had a baby within that six weeks, you know, some of these disorders that, you know, they present in in, in different ways and, and blood pressure is not always the first um, sign of this. Yeah. How often do you see Ooh. it? How, how often do I see it? Do you know what we probably see? It, it depends on um, your maternity service, the level of maternity service. So the service that I'm at is a level four maternity service and we probably see it coming through our AAU triage. Um, oh, I want to say maybe... 10 across a period of maybe five to six days yeah, yeah. um 10 women um and look and that's probably a lot for a week um, yeah. but these might be women who we've brought back for um, blood pressure monitoring as well yeah. um, there are some that present from clinic some present from the community there are some that present from the gp so that's the thing about um maternity services is that you know we are getting referrals from other primary health services as well um, and then obviously we liaise really closely with our level five um, maternity service hospital um, which then treats and has specialist services that um, that obviously treat and, and care for women with these um, disorders now you, just so we can um, keep following this algorithm you talked about um, the blood pressure that we talked about we talked about it being um, especially just we'll touch on preeclampsia um, you know hypertension occurring after 20 weeks and resolving after three months. What are one or more of those little features that you said, you sort of said if the blood pressure is over 140 and a diastolic over 90 with one or more systems, um, what mm-hmm. systems are affected when it comes to um, preeclampsia with high blood pressure disorders? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So we'll specifically talk to um, the um, maternal organs and systems yeah. that are most commonly affected with preeclampsia. So firstly, the kidneys, um, they're probably the most sensitive organs, as we know, um, to changes in blood flow or volume, um, and that's probably most commonly affected. So when we look at proteinuria, um, we're talking about um, 
you know, indication of um, some damages to the kidney. Um, and then you have that rare complication of preeclampsia, which might be acute renal failure. So when you, you do see women come through emergency that are presented with potentially headaches, um, peripheral edema, quite abnormal peripheral edema, um, you do see that they have high blood pressure. Um, you know, taking a urine sample is is quite important mm-hmm. um, and understanding um, whether they do have um, protein urea is quite important too. Um, the way we um, will accurately kind of screen for that is we send off the urine samples for um, protein creatinine ratio. Sorry. Okay. Um, and renal dysfunction is detected by a PCR or protein creatinine ratio of greater than or equal to 30 milligram protein slash millimoles creatinine, which is a bit detailed, sorry. Um, that's in 24 hours, hey, that, uh, no? No, that's just, yes. a, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and it's really important then to understand with pregnant women um, when you do take a urine sample. So have they, if they come in, have they broken their waters? That's pretty impactful. Do they have blood in their urine from um, pregnancy or, um, you know, there's, there's so many factors that um, contribute to um, having protein in the urea. So urine, sorry. So it's, it's good to ask these questions, you know, what's happening? Do you have pain in your tummy? Is it just the headaches? Is it just the um, edema in your hands and your legs? Um, what are you feeling? Often women will tell you they feel a bit off. Yeah. Um, and they're the best indicators. You know, they tell us everything we need to know if we mm-hmm. ask them the right questions, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the kidney. Another um, renal dysfunction that we look at is obviously urine output's pretty important. Um, serum creatinine as well um, and urate. So urate is pretty important and the levels of urate, um, sorry, the levels of um, the serum uric acid we go off for their gestational age. So I won't go too much into that, but um, that's pretty important too. And so, you know, for ED nurses or even, um, and, you know, doctors, they often will liaise, sorry, with the obstetric team um, because of some cutoffs with serum uric acid that we look at um, for the gestational age to indicate whether or not they do have preeclampsia too oh, and how affected their kidneys are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's probably the second part is the liver. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to look at LFT. So elevated levels of um, AST and ALT are pretty important to look at as well. Um, and the women will present with um, signs of this, such as epigastric pain, um another big one is vomiting right so the interesting thing about women is you know they can have i mean they can have vomiting because they have gastro they can have vomiting and nausea because they um, have hyperemesis gravidarium or they could have you know vomiting and nausea in pregnancy so it's really important when a woman says i've been vomiting i haven't been able to stop in the last two days or 24 hours um, understanding has this been a prolonged period of vomiting has she had this since the beginning or has it start stop so I had a case where a woman was 39 weeks pregnant um, and she had early um, vomiting and nausea probably when she first fell pregnant then it went away and then all of a sudden this has come back in the last two days when she presented and it was severe vomiting I mean that's quite abnormal that's not um, a normal thing to to present with um, and she ended up actually having help syndrome. So, um, and she was actually quite normal tensive her blood pressure. Um, so that that was that's quite important to look at as well. Um, and then 
oh, there's a couple more, but like central nervous system, that's a big thing. So yep. you have um, hyperreflexia, uh, the clonus, you have headaches. So these women, you said this postpartum case that you had, she presented with headaches. Yep. Um, you've got visual disturbances. Again, they have the stars, the spots, maybe blurring. And yep. we're not just talking when they stand up really quickly and they have a bit of, you know, stars in their eyes. This is kind of consistent visual disturbances. Um, they might not be able to be in a room with lights on if it gets that bad things like that um confusion maybe irritability as well and then you have that quite severe um central nervous system um uh, which is convulsion yep convulsion sorry so eclampsia yep which is a l seizures a yes yeah, yeah. so that's pretty that's pretty bad and that's a pretty bad complication um of um preeclampsia yep. um i guess then going into um and please jump in i'm learning man um, like, bang away yeah. okay so the hematological system so we, we another close thing that we like we'll send off a full blood count we look at their platelets as well so the cutoff is 150 yep um and anything kind of below that we want to kind of look at and see that they're not you know have they had gestational thrombocytopenia or is this thrombocytopenia that's been associated obviously with preeclampsia or all these complications so um it's pretty important to to look at this factor um to ensure that it's not leading to any kind of coagul uh, coagulopathy sorry um and and that's quite you know the end stage of that that complication is dic so and that can be a very severe yeah. um feature of um preeclampsia or, or health syndrome as well even by itself it's bad let alone with pregnancy you still get worried with dic so. yeah yeah and that's yeah that's the thing um and i guess the last thing we spoke about you know the baby or the placenta and the yes. fetus as well so um it's really important with pregnancy that we know that you know the effect of this circulation um can complicate um these babies as well so they can have quite um, intrauterine fetal growth restriction so they can have reduced um and what's it called? reduced kind of circulation um, and be growth restricted for um a little while like this is not just a, a sudden thing that happens um and sometimes what might happen is we might pick up um you know preeclampsia or, or its complications through um a growth scan on a baby so they might come um they've had an ultrasound she's had you know headaches for a little while she hasn't really told a midwife or she's presented with um, other symptoms and alongside all the tests and blood pressure monitoring um, and blood tests we do a um, obstetric ultrasound and, and this baby is actually quite growth restricted as well um, and reduce um, afi which is the amniotic fluid index um, that they they will um, report on an ultrasound as well Okay. Um, so that there's a few things with with placentas and um, and babies that do obviously get affected by um, preeclampsia and even you know and even hypertension in itself. Now we talked about um, some of the you mentioned like um history like you talked about um, you know some of the patients being you know some could be asymptomatic. You talked about headaches, mm. that right upper quadrant pain. You talked yeah. about you know some people could have some blindness or seeing the stars. Um, are there any risk factors for patients that potentially could have um, hypertension disorders in pregnancy? Yes, absolutely. So um, from, you know, from a preeclampsia perspective, um, maternal risk factors in themselves. So, you know, your first pregnancy, 
um, is a risk factor. Um, if you're quite young or, or older, so if you're um, younger than 18 years old or greater than 35, um, if you've had a history of preeclampsia um, or HELP syndrome in itself, um, and even family history, so your first degree relative, so obviously your mother who's had preeclampsia as well and that has been a complication of her pregnancy, um, we want to know about it as well. Um, obesity, so BMI uh, greater than equal to 30, um, you know, history or current renal disease, um, thrombophilia, um, even pre-existing diabetes, so type 1 or type 2, mm. um, and obviously chronic hypertension as well. Yeah, um, yeah and, uh, we, we, you know, we mentioned one as well, that the, you know, the interval in, in your pregnancies, if it's greater than eight years, that can sometimes be a, a oh. uh, risk factor as well. Mm. So if you've had like a, you know, a kid that's, you know, as you said, for eight and then you're getting pregnant <clears> again, that long... Your body yeah. out of that sort of cycle can sort of throw it off. We do, yeah, we do consider that a risk factor as well. And then you have the kind of placental and fetal risk factors as well for preeclampsia, so twin pregnancies, so multiple pregnancies. Um, and then you have um, high drops in, 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 in the fetus and um, kind of complications of with this baby that can then be risk factors for preeclampsia as well. Mm. How, how do you, um, I know it's off topic, but when you've got a, you know, you do that blood pressure on, on that mum and you find that it's quite high um, mm. and mum looks over at it, do you, do you, how, how do you sort of, like, you know, you, how do you sort of tell mum, what do you, do you like, re, you obviously reassure them because they're obviously stressed having yeah. a baby. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just want to know how you sort of approach our love people. I think, yeah, look, I, it's communication and how you um, explain this to mothers is so important and that's both in pregnancy or if they've presented after they've had a baby with high blood pressure it's stressful like for them to even be in hospital let alone emergency no offense it is um it's pretty you know it's pretty stressful for them so um one thing that we tend to do is um just repeat it Hmm. so repeat it in 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 five minutes or five ten minutes um making sure she's you know um you're using the right blood pressure cuff that's another thing so when pregnancy or um, for women who have um, uh, preeclampsia or, or hypertension we don't want to be using auto blood pressure machines as well mm-hmm. so that's a really big thing too um, just to be aware of yeah um, and um, we want to use mercury free um, blood pressure cuffs uh, blood pressure uh, machines as well that contain liquid crystal um, and that's probably like a detailed part to do a manual blood pressure for them. So having yeah. all those in, in line, so we know we're getting the, you know, you know, uh, measuring the correct blood pressure. Um, and then, you know, if it is high, talking to her about it, taking history, you know, have you had, you know, high blood pressure before? Um, is there anything that, you know, has happened today or in the last 24 hours or this week that's been quite um, stressful for you or anything, you know, because they might be presenting, as we said, um, you know, sometimes we in the clinic will get a woman that's kind of run in. Uh, maybe it's a hot day. She's mm. parked, you know, struggled to find parking. She has a toddler in her hand. She's kind of rushed into the clinic and she's had a million one things to do. And then, you you know, the first thing you do is take a blood pressure. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a big thing. Of course, she's going to be a bit stressed. The blood pressure going to be a bit high. So give her a chance. So, you know, those, those human factors, the interpersonal um, aspect of our care, that matters a lot, you know, for women mm. in in labor that's a big thing you know we, we turn off the light we make her space safe for her um 
as opposed to, you know, if she has high blood pressure, you know, all the lights on, so much noise, all this stress, the language that you're using is horrible. Um, it really impacts um, a woman and her care. Mm, that's so true. And, and you know, people are perceptive. They can, they can read your body language um, when you've got time for them, when you don't have time for them. Um, they're not silly, you know what I mean? Like I think sometimes we, as clinicians, can really forget about the general public in terms of giving them that extra bit of time um, or even that body language of just looking them in the eyes and showing them that respect that you're actually listening to them. Um, Absolutely. I'm just, telling you, women women tell you, they'll tell you everything. Like they yeah. have all the answers, right? So 100%. we give, yeah, we give them the time of day and they will tell you everything. Mm. Um, so I think that's really, really important. Yeah, it is too. And I actually really loved even, this is a bit off topic, but I loved all those um, questions about even safety for women um, with pregnancy and um, I was really just going through it with my wife myself. I just, when they were, you know, talking, they would talk to her by herself and ask questions in relation to safety. And I thought that was epic. I really loved, um, yeah. yeah, just, you know, just looking at the holistic approach, not just your delivering a baby, but is the mother safe, you know, um, what life is she going to be brought up into? Just stuff I was like, wow, that it is multifactorial. Absolutely. Yeah. And also on your journey to be a midwife, just quickly, um, was there anything in your journey, like a moment while you're being a midwife where you sort of, you know, sat there and thought, oh, is that all the time? Like, this is, I love this. This is amazing. Or is this all the time for you? Do you get those moments? Day Do you in day? know what? You know, I think one big moment for me was, you know, graduating, you know, being a registered midwife, but being in the birth room and um you know helping a woman with her needs being very kind of central to what she requires at that time in her life for her and her partner her family um seeing her get through one of the biggest moments um in her life um and and sharing in that joy but also you know the lows when you do have something like a perineal loss and um being on that journey with parents both those sides I thought this is incredible if you can have a hand in this in someone's life you you just will forever have that um have a bit of a, a buzz in your heart for that I think mm. if, you know no matter how many years you are um, practicing as a midwife I think that's something that you will always um hold close to yeah mm. that's true hey because a lot of people talk you know there's a lot of joy when you get a baby delivered but you know you do get those complex cases where you do have a death or you do have maybe a child that has um you know comes out and there's there's some issues related to you know neurology yeah. heart or yeah. lungs or um, yeah absolutely they're things that i guess in your job you'd have to deal with as well not just the positives but also the harder cases yeah absolutely definitely a, a massive part of the role and, and we see it more and more um these days which um it, it takes a lot out of out of the team it takes a lot of um you know, it takes a lot of heart and soul, you know, effort, both physically and mentally for midwives, um, for us to be there and, and support um, these families through some of the toughest times um, in their lives as well. Mm. Off air, me and Amanda were talking about baby names and I was sort of asking her, you know, do you often get asked what's the most craziest baby name you've heard? And she sort of redirected the convo and said, it doesn't really matter to her, it's that whenever she sees a baby they're just so cute and she just loves them I was just sort of um caught off guard a little bit I just sort of thought you know there's nothing like a, a mother's or father's love for a kid 
but there's also like nothing like um, you know the comfort of a of a midwife, um, the comfort of someone who's um, got your situation at your you know sometimes scariest or life changing moment, and there's someone holding your hand or or, or talking you through it, um, you know coaching you. They're they're your coach, they your mentor. Um, they're holding your hand. They're someone that you may not might not have known before you're there, and suddenly they're on your team, um, holding your hand and, and reassuring you that it's going to be okay and that they're with you. And that even when times aren't okay, um, they're there to sort of pick up the pieces um, and and sort of be by your side. And I just thought, man, they are just amazing people. Yeah, cool. And we talked a bit about the investigations. We talked about the protein, the elevated creatinine. We talked about um, transaminate, like, you know, the elevated LFTs. Um, We talked about thrombocytopenia. Um, We touched on coagulation, hemolysis, high urate levels. Um, Now, management, how do you manage these sort of patients Um, and how is it treated? Look, it's quite important um, that these women are monitored quite closely. So different hospitals have different policies, um, clinics and and specialist um, services that have their own policies and procedures. Um, So, look, I can't comment on every single hospital, what they do, but um, we often with some of these disorders, especially preeclampsia, HELP syndrome, we transfer them to a higher tertiary hospital um, for care um, and specialised care as well. and there's often obviously a close blood pressure monitoring. So often in our hospital policies during the day, it's three hourly blood pressure monitoring um, if they're inpatients. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that's, and that's quite important if, if they're inpatients on our wards. You have, um, speaking on like, you know, antihypertensive medications, yeah. the, whole point of, the whole point of antihypertension medications are to improve organ perfusion and mm-hmm. therefore prolong the pregnancy if they are preg- pregnant. It's not to treat the disorder. Um, mm. It's to obviously treat that hypertension. Um, and look, there's commonly used antihypertensives, yeah. um, but obviously every hospital would be quite different and, and yep. practitioners as well. Um, you touched on a bit on postnatal as well. So there's um, captopril that's used postnatally and then in pregnancy um, and even postnatally, there's nifedipine, libidolol, hydralazine, methyldopa, um, so there's a few there that um, that you know clinicians and doctors will refer to, and it depends on you know has this woman you know it's a whole clinical picture. You know what has this woman been on? Has she been on antihypertensives? Mm-hmm. Is it effective, or is this um, a new uh, hypertensive disorder? Um, and then obviously managing severe hypertension is a bit different, both in the antenatal period, intrapartum as well, when they're in labour. You know, you, you might have a woman that's been quite normal and then her hypertension um, um, starts or shows um, when she's in labour. Um, yep. and, and that's definitely something that we see too. Um, and there are different protocols and antihypertensives um, 
regimes that that we have in our hospitals and in different hospitals that um, we we use for for labouring women as well. Mm. Um, and then obviously postnatal um, is different as well because there's three you know different parts of their um, yeah this physiology right or even pathophysiology. Yeah. Antenatal is going to be different to intrapartum. Intrapartum is going to be different to postnatal. So that's always taken into consideration as well. And then mm. obviously you have your treatment of convulsions or prophylaxis of um, um, to, to prevent um, eclamptic fits as well, um, which is different. So obviously we have magnesium sulfate, um, which is the medication of uh, choice for preventing eclamptic fits. Okay. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. So I mean that, that touches a bit on the medication side, um, yeah. but um, you know they talk about in pregnancy, and, and this is obviously obstetric and um, and and physician led as well. But delivery consideration. Uh, is something that they talk a lot about with women who have um, preeclampsia and even obviously help syndrome or um, maybe, uh, you know, not well-managed um, hypertension in the pregnancy. She might not have preeclampsia, but they might not be able to um, uh, manage her blood pressure um, as they get to the third trimester. So they do have indications to, to induce or, or deliver um, earlier sometimes so and that is depending on how well managed they are mm. and do you find a lot of the you like from your experience um a lot of these patients get picked up earlier as in like the pre-screening sort of stuff around that earlier than or around 20 weeks or whatever and then suddenly get put on an antihypertensives and, and you sort of see that blood pressure stabilize look it depends i think I think we do a really good job in screening women and taking their history um, and we see them um, very often in their pregnancy and, and we're, they're very well aware. We have these discussions early on as well about signs and symptoms of um, preeclampsia. And so women are quite switched on. You know, they know when to, well, the majority of the time, they, they do know when to come in and, um, and to talk to us about their symptoms as well, even if it's the mildest symptoms, so then we can go go through it with them. So, look, you, you know, they are picked up uh, pretty quick, um, but it's about us as clinicians really recognising and listening to women as well. Again, I touched on before, you know, vomiting and, um, you know, not being, you know, what's that saying like like the boy who cried wolf type thing so a woman who said she's vomiting and then you get another woman who said she's vomiting and it's like oh it's like you know everyone's saying they're vomiting but you need to take that symptom with their whole clinical picture um and talk to them about it to see um you know is this something else than mm -hmm. just um the symptom that they've described and, and not brushing that off as well is really important um and if you know emergency i mean you guys get such a range and wide range of um you know patients and symptoms so you know pregnancy on top has just so many factors um that can play a part of, of different things especially hypertensive disorder so you know liaise with with the midwives with the obstetric team um, they're very um quick to um pick these things up because it is their kind of you know their it's their playing field so um i love it when we collaborate with ed and and mm. um especially to, you know, put the women at the centre of our care and um, talk to them and, and get them the treatment that they need quite mm. quickly is, is really, yeah, it's really important. Above 20, uh, above like 20 weeks, sort of if we're hitting around, you know, above 20 weeks, um, and if you have a patient who is hypertensive and, you know, the mum's worried about the baby, do we normally, in your experiences, do those kids normally, uh, those patients generally come up to you guys 
Um, Absolutely. Yeah, cool. Yeah, any any concern? I mean, our local hospital that I'm at, any concern greater than 20 weeks, um, um, we we will see them um, yep. in our in our triage um, unit. Um, sometimes we might come down to ED as well, so that yeah. you know that communication is really important um, between the, you know midwifery and obstetric staff as well. Um, just like any any kind of communication coming across um, different interdisciplinary um, teams as well. So. But yeah, you know, and women, if they're part of a model of care, sometimes um, women might call their uh, continual care um, midwives as well if they have their, um, if that's the model that, that they're in as well. So often then the midwives will know they're presenting or, you know, will give ED a heads up or come down themselves as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it definitely depends on the service and um, obviously the protocols that are in place as well and, um, and how that works in, in each hospital. Mm. Um, touch me on help syndrome. You mentioned it um, and help with a bit longer than the normal help. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So help um, with a double L. Yeah, help. <laughs> yep, definitely. Um, um, so Yeah, run me through that. Yeah, so help again is um, hemolysis, elevated liver, enzy- liver enzymes and low platelets. Um, and it is a, it's a syndrome that's um, quite life-threatening in pregnancy. Um, and it's a it's like a variant of preeclampsia. So you know, not many people um, see it that often. Um, I mean, in my seven years of practice, I've been, I've only seen it three times. Um, and again, those three times, the woman presented with quite normal intensive blood pressure actually, and and the first two signs were severe vomiting um, and, you know, new onset severe vomiting in the third trimester um, and quite severe epigastric pain that radiated to um, the upper part of um, their backs. So that was, you know, the two indicators on that phone call. And I mean, they they could do the same. They can present to ED um, with that as well, thinking that they might have eaten something bad and they just want IV fluids, um, but then they have all these other symptoms as well. Um, so A to I is, is incredibly important um, in these situations as well. But, yeah, HELP syndrome is quite, um, is quite um, sometimes quite tricky to pick up as well because of, the, because of its, um, how it presents. Um, and it was cool because I actually, um, you said it seemed to follow you around as a clinician. Like you sometimes get yeah. these pathologies that, that no one sees and then you have that one person goes oh i've seen three of those and you're like what <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's funny it's and it's yeah and it depends like you know where you work in certain services or how often you will see it again we like to think that you know pregnancies you know for majority of women are normal we want to keep it normal for them we want to make sure um they're well um and and, and we focus on that but you know for women who are have complexities in their pregnancies it's important that we do pick it up so um, you know, the three cases that I had seen of health syndrome were quite um, quite similar in themselves. So that was why it was quite probably a bit easier to kind of delve deeper and ask the questions um, for these women. But, um, yeah, they were very, very interesting, very interesting. And, um, I mean, fortunately enough, all those women are, are well, um, but it can be quite, um, uh, it can be quite life-threatening, yeah. Yeah, I said they can be, liver function tests can be, um, I always said, like, can be hard the best of times, but I love how you sort of said, um, you know, like headaches, which you mentioned, vomiting, um, all yeah. those, those symptoms with hypertension, uh, and it can still cause things like DIC, 
placental abruptions, yeah. postpartum bleeds, um, even liver infarcts, which I was reading about. I was like, what? Um, yes, which I was like, yeah. crazy to sort of look at. And even like their bloods, like you said, you know, they're all important things. And I even saw and helped magnesium sulfate was one of those ones as well. So yeah. good old mag, I, I sometimes under, I underestimate magnesium sulfate. It's one of those drugs that, um, yeah. And I was reading as well a little bit about like avoiding like too much fluids because like people with pregnancy, they can go into APO. I was like, oh, yeah. true. Like you do have, I just. Yeah, strict. <laughs> yeah, sometimes forget yeah. about those sort of things. Um, yeah, that's. It's very, very important, especially, you know, women that present and you have any kind of um, indication that they have hypertension or preeclampsia or help syndrome or, um, you know, really need to be aware of the urine output um, and what we're giving them as well. You know, they come in with severe vomiting and you want to give them a bag of fluids and give them a second bag of fluids and then you realise actually they're preeclamptic or they have help syndrome. So, you know, we just have to be really aware of those those women. Mm. And um, like you said, obviously, have you seen seizures in with pregnancy? Uh, yeah, unfortunately I have. Um, and yeah, they're quite, they're definitely they're quite scary. I mean, again, you know, with, with pregnant women, you want to keep everything normal. Um, but obviously when women are complicated, you know, have these complications, um, it's quite, quite, quite scary for them and, and their partners and, and their family as well. Um, when it happens and, um, and fortunately enough, when it has 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 happened, it's been in um, in the hospital with the right amount of people around um, caring caring for these women. So, mm. um, I was um, thinking, as a midwife, you would have seen. I know this is random, but you would have seen some interesting names of children. Um, <laughs> I knew this was going to come up. <laughs> how do you how do you straight face that? How do you um you know. Um, how do you sort of go, wow, I mean, everyone's entitled to their name and their baby, whatever they want. But I was always wondering, you know, me being an ED, you know, I, I call the name out and, um, you know, sometimes it's not, you know, you, you just, I had a patient who had the name T with literally a line, then an A. So I called out Ta because I couldn't, you know, and it was actually Tadasha. Um, and I was <laughs> still to this day, it was my favourite one I ever called out. Um but I would imagine you would have seen some interesting names. Uh, I think I can't get past cuteness of, of newborns and names. I, I don't think I could ever, I don't know. I'm not, um, I, I don't think I could ever you just love I don't comment much. on them. I just, yeah. yeah, I just don't, I never really take, it's a question that always comes up and I don't think I've ever had it. Yeah. Like I think everyone, I mean, even for parents, they always ask for suggested names or, you have know, you name what was that? Have you ever got to name a child or has one ever been named after you? No, but do you want to hear the most interesting story? And I actually was going to mention this at the beginning, but, you know, when I was born, my mum's mid, well, my midwife um, that delivered me, and she actually chose my name um, at birth. So my mum was going to call me, <laughs> my mum was going to call me Brooke. And um, the midwife actually said, why don't you call her Amanda? Then you can, you know, short for Mandy. And my mum loved it. So... I was actually, yeah, my midwife named me. Isn't that cool? Mm, I know. I think that's pretty special. <laughs> but no, no one's ever taken on the names that I've suggested. So I've just stopped, actually. I probably don't have any good creative so, names for anyone. So people out there, um, just letting you know, if you want to have a baby, you can call it Amanda. She'll be very happy. Oh, if you wanted. I know. Short for mans or Mandy. I promise. <laughs> it's so common. No one wants to use it. I think we had, when we, um, yeah, we had Ashley, Ashley, Ashley um yeah, well, I think they were like oh we'll just call it we'll just call our, our daughter Ashley 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 and they're all laughing um 
but um yeah how do you what you know i read a thing yesterday about um success is doing what you love um a lot of the time um and i thought that was really awesome because sometimes we measure you know being successful by what we have or how much we earn or making an impact but it was really great um when i heard that sort of like it's doing what you love um and i was like well that's so true like um we should be striving to do what we love um and i sort of thought about you i was like well you, you're doing what you love and you've you know even just thinking that i was like you've been doing this for a while but you enjoy doing it um and mm -hmm. i always say that's that's a mark of a successful person um uh, want to say that yeah i yeah you could have said it better i think you know passion and love for what you do um really drives um yeah drives the success in your career and um and even in your vocation and what you're doing so as a midwife a nurse um doctors i mean yeah they're they're challenging jobs like it's not it's not something that you you wake up and you think yeah it's just such a simple job so i'm just going to do that for the rest of my life you wake up and you think no i'm going to work and it's going to be either the best day or i'm going to have challenges today um and you meet the best people. I mean, I've met the most incredible midwives um, and doctors in my lifetime of working in my short seven years. Um, and it's been, you know, yeah, the best part of my life has been midwifery, I, I honestly. And it's shaped a lot of, a lot of um, friendships in my life, a lot of kind of learning, steep learning curves as well. Um, even, you know, the women and their families and their partners, like what an incredible journey to be a part of. And we are so privileged to be there day in and day out. And whether that's on the postnatal ward when, you know, you're helping a woman, you're putting a TED stocking on her feet when she can barely move from her bed and, um, you know, you help her bath or you're in birthing unit and, you know, you're crying at a birth. I mean, <laughs> they call me the crier at work because all yes. I do is, um, I yes, I tear up every time, every single time, um, because it's just, it is incredible. And, you know, for the days or months that you lose a bit of that spark, I think you need to just reassess, you know, you reassess your passion and your love for it and tap into those resources as well. And whether that's your colleagues, and I know I work with some incredible um, leaders in, in, in my work and it's pretty amazing. And um, yeah, I do, I do love it a lot <laughs> no that's great hey i think sometimes we showing that emotion as well also makes the patient and you don't, you're not doing it because you're faking it you do it because you actually love the process and you, you believe in the process and you you want to um you're actually touched by it you know what i mean that's raw emotion completely yeah, yeah. That's that we, we forget to show sometimes as clinicians and i think showing that's actually really vulnerable um it's not a weakness it's actually a really beautiful vulnerability Absolutely. Um, people yeah. definitely need that. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received um, that you think you, that has kept you going? <sighs> or just anything that you sort of go that, you know, I, yeah. I always, my quote, like I want to be a, I'll give you mine. I want to be a, um, I don't want to be a, pro a public success, but a private failure. And that sort of stuck with me heaps about, you know, wanting to make sure that, you know, it sounds yeah. weird off air, but off being a nurse, off being podcasting that I'm actually doing yeah. the right things. Yeah. Do you know what? One big thing, and I think I've learned this from um, a lot of really incredible uh, midwives and even doctors in my in my time, is that when you're with a woman, and we often like I hate calling them patients, not patients, the women. Um, and you know, if you treat or care for the, you know, 
if you treat and care for the patient um, and the case, okay, you're either going to, you know, get something successful out of it or not. Um, but if you treat um, and care for the person, for the woman, um, for, you know, what they're feeling at the time and have that interpersonal um, connection with them, um, it's of greater benefit. And um, that's a that's a massive thing as well. You know, we tend to, you know, especially with the high turnover with COVID, especially, you know, patients or women coming in and out of hospital. But if you sit there, have a second with them, connect with them, ask them the questions um, and give them the time of day, you're going to have more of a better, you know, you have a better outcome. And, and that might not be maybe medically, they might still have that complication that needs um, acute treatment. Um, but, you know, they're coming out of that, you know, scenario with you and probably being a bit more satisfied. And you as a clinician, like you as a midwife, nurse, as a doctor, you will get more out of it, out of it as well. Can you teach people that, Amanda? Do you think you can <laughs> teach people those skills? I'm just asking, you know, you, you're <sighs> well, can you teach people how to show that side or do you think it's innately in you? I just want a oh, good question. Yeah, yeah look, I, I think that is such a challenge you can't teach people that value but you can show them and yeah. i think that's one thing that i love to do even now working as a cmc i love to jump in and work clinically and love to see how the midwives interact with the you know with the women and the families and i do the same when i'm working with students is that i want to go in the room i want to sit down with the woman i want to talk to her get on her level um and show others how you know how it feels to be treated like that as well it's, it's so important it's so important i think if more people pick that up you know it's like the turn of your voice if i walk into the room and i'm talking to a woman um the way i am you know someone's not going to come in and start you know yelling at the top of their voice even in you know emergency situations and that's often where people are most stressed um yeah so showing them in your actions i think is is a big thing yeah i don't think you can really teach, teach people that and I always say, like, yeah, at the moment, it's super hard because you've got a mask on and people can't see your face. Um, but, but your tone of voice and your eye contact and your, and your um, demeanour and, and the way you hold yourself, um, yeah. really, I think um, women and people that you treat can um, can see that and they can feel yeah. that sense that you actually do care about them. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, it. like you said, you might not be able to, it's showing them by your example of how you, you treat them, you know? Yeah. If they're in that room and the way you talk to them, like, oh, wow, that was a really awesome interaction. Um, Absolutely. Um, where would people go? Well, quickly, if anyone wants to become a midwife, what would be your mm -hmm. recommendation? What would you say to people that are out there? They're like, oh, I think I want to be a midwife. Oh, I don't know. What, show me what, what would you say? <laughs> do it. <laughs> we do it. We need more midwives. I mean, we need more nurses. Um, but we want to keep them. We want to teach them. We want to show you. Um, what it is to be a midwife as well it's an incredible incredible career it's um and yeah and it's a it's almost like i say this and i don't know if people probably laugh at it but it's a lifestyle you know mm. um it, it can bring you a lot of joy um and in the challenges you meet the most incredible people as well um and you make you know the greatest friends too i mean how many of us have you know lifetime um friends coming out of you know midwifery and nursing careers as well um journeys that you take and I think you know through the challenging times that we've all had in the last like two and a half years that's kind of the you know come to light as well of, of how you know important midwives and nurses are as well so I 
definitely say do it. And you know what? You can do so much with your career, so much. Um, and you can branch out in so many kind of specialties and um, and keep women at the centre of your kind of vision and your passion. So you can do so much. And, and the women deserve it. Them and their families, they deserve um, passionate midwives and midwives that are cared for as well. So we all kind of care for each other in this industry. I think um, you'd, you'd last a lifetime. But um, definitely do it. You can do the Bachelor of Midwifery or you can do postgraduate. So if you're a nurse, um, you can do... Uh, the um, grad, graduate diploma um, in medical career as well, which is one year, um, I think, at the moment. Don't quote me. <laughs> yeah. um, did you always know you wanted to be a midwife or did um, someone inspire you along the journey to be a midwife? Do you know what? In high school, I was very, had a very big pull um, towards healthcare. Um, women's health was a big thing for me. Um, and I stumbled across the flyer of midwifery um, in year 11 and I still remember being so drawn to it. Um, and I spoke to a um, another Bachelor of Midwifery graduate who spoke to me about it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is it. This is me. And ever since I, um, yeah, ever since, ever since I studied midwifery and um, graduated, I've, yeah, absolutely loved it. Every single part of it, the highs and lows. Um, it's been an incredible journey. Yeah. And I even, like, have realised that, um, you know, midwifery is so multifactorial. Um Definitely. I've actually had the pleasure of meeting you um, through like an MGP program, um, <laughs> yeah. which um, I sort of think is an epic program for people that are, um, you know, having babies and sort of getting that sort of shared care or even just that, you know, multifactorial care was awesome. Yeah, yeah, the continuity is incredible. We had an um, MGP team that I was on, you know, all-rounded continuity of care, which is an, an incredible benefit both for, as you would have seen, for yourself and your partner and um, the midwives as well. It's, it's just very satisfying. And there's some misconceptions out there about midwives. Um, I love to always, you know, stir. Oh, is there? Is, is there any? Do you know any? <laughs> Um, like yeah. what? Give me an example. Well, like in ED, we're often seen as being a bit messy, you know, like someone described emergency nurses or doctors sometimes a bit like you've yeah. got a, you've got the Christmas tree up for Christmas, right? The ED yeah. guys, they grab the lights. They're all together. You know, they try to make sure that the globes don't break, but they just throw it in the box the next year. The intensive care guys seem to unpack every single light, make sure it's perfectly lined up, you know. So next year when it comes to Christmas, the lights are ready to go. Oh, wow. um, that, that, that's the ED and ICU sort of, you know, stigma. Is there anything about midwives? I love to know from the people that actually are midwives. Oh, man, I would love to hear if anyone has any thoughts on this, but I don't know. You know, one thing I probably, big theme in midwives, I mean, they're pretty tough. Midwives yeah, are pretty say, yeah. tough. I mean, you won't come across a midwife that um, doesn't have both a strong hand, strong heart, strong mind. Yeah. Um, I mean, that sounds a bit cheesy, but I find every midwife I've ever come across has been an incredible strong um you know strong person in, in what they do both in their personal lives and professional lives and it's something that they um i find a bit of a theme but mm. um yeah i'd be curious to see what other people think whatever i mean we're not messy we're pretty it's funny it's probably the messiest part yeah. of um maybe free is, is birth yes um, but i mean majority of us are pretty um nitpicky with how clean we are so you, you know a good midwife when you walk into a birthing room and you know everything's pretty kind of tidy and clean and, and put to the side so okay that's good to know <laughs> um and if anyone wants to get in contact with you to ask you specific questions in relation to midwifery or hypertension in pregnancy mm -hmm. how would they contact you yes definitely feel free to contact me i do have a new south wales health 
email um, and it's amanda.rahayan health email so more than happy to chat to anyone about it um, because it's it's what we do I mean I spoke to a midwife um, back when I was in year 11 um, and she inspired me to to apply and do it and I never looked back since so um, and for resources in relation to pregnancy, um, you'll send me some links. I'll put them in the show notes for everyone to have a read on if there's anything that people want to um, read about in relation to high um, pregnancy disorders. Um, yeah, high- absolutely. Yeah. Um, dude, it's been a pleasure. Um, yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's been awesome. So thank you so much for your time, mate. No worries. It's been great. Glad um, we finally did this. Hey, Frothers, that's a wrap for another episode of the EDGM podcast. Thank you so much to Amanda who came on the podcast. She is an absolute legend. And if you're not inspired about midwifery or even inspired about midwives and how cool they are, um, you need to re-listen again because they're awesome. If you want to get in contact with me, um, you can look at my Instagram, edgm underscore podcast, and also check out my TikTok as well. Um, Just thanks to everyone who does follow the podcast. Um, I've got heaps of new episodes coming out, um, some more case studies to run through. Uh, I want to say thank you and also just inspiring to just realize that there's so many cool people out there um, that if we had the heart like Amanda when we looked after not just patients but people, um, I reckon we'd have such a different environment. Um, Shout out to all those legends out there um, who give me feedback as well. Thank you so much. Please send me messages, send me, um, you know, anything. I'd love to hear back from you as well. Have a great and awesome day. You. The EDGM podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which this recording is occurring today, the Darawal people, and pay my respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Pull me closer.